What's up, y'all? It's Will here at Schedule Fly, and this is my first time with an episode with Carolee Fallert, and I'm very excited about that. She's in Salt Lake right now, but Carolee um, is co-owner of Taco Boy down in the Charleston area. There's three locations, and then Wiki Wiki Sandbar down in Folly Beach. And you, Carolee, thank you for doing this. You opened Taco Boy, the first one, was it 2006? Is that right? Yeah. Okay, and almost fifteen uh, years ago. Almost fifteen years ago, and you had April, who's your partner now. April Bennett was a was she a GM for a little bit, or how how did that come together? You know, she uh, worked with me in a, on the administrative side for many years, and then moved into operations, um, and has been there for the better part of I guess about six years with us operationally. Look, I mean, you're for folks that are listening that are around the country. If you're not familiar with the Charleston area and the restaurant scene down there, of course, it's fantastic. And Taco Boy has a great reputation. So does Wiki Wiki Sandbar. And you've done an amazing job with these places, Carolee. What? How did you get involved in hospitality initially? Um, you know, I, I found hospitality the way a lot of people do. I think initially, which is either in your early, you know younger years in school, and um, I was in high school when I first tables, and then. Um, stayed on, on in restaurants when I was in college, and that was a real, um, you know, wonderful way to to be able to work and go to school at the same time. And 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 the bug, even though I thought I was studying different things, whether it was design or um, music, I think the bug was just there. Uh, and every time I turned to try to focus outside of the industry, I just kept coming back to it. So I had the uh, fortune to actually leave college. Um, and start my first restaurant out here, out west, um, when I was 20. And I just never really went back to any other path. Um, and it was just had a, had a, you know, opportunity after opportunity. And so um, whether, I, I, whether I intentionally landed here, it's just where I've been. Um, and I'm, you know, I've, I, I really love the industry for many, many reasons. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, can be a great the great equalizer um mm, it's a for place sure. for transformation for people who sometimes don't have the opportunity to uh finish school and and you can you know work really hard and uh and you know make six figures if you want without um traditional you know traditional means of following a path to a career and i love that i think that that's pretty amazing um and i also just really enjoy um, the right and left kind of brain balance between creative mm. and, and and the analyze you know analyzing side of my brain. I really appreciate to, the idea of being able to build something from a creative space to transform people uh, or a transformative space where people walk in the door that really feel like they're transported to somewhere. Mm. Um, but I also really enjoy the business side of it too, and developing businesses around metrics and and you know. Um, outcomes that are predetermined and and so it really kind of speaks to 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 me and what i enjoy are you naturally more creative or analytical i would say i'm naturally more creative uh but if over i'm you know studied uh and probably strengthened my analytical side just out of the you know studying finances essentially i think the creatives you, you can learn the, the business side, you can learn the analytical side. I think it's harder for analytical people to learn creativity. I would imagine that's probably the case. 
you, you have a lot of like you have a lot of and the interesting thing is finding that balance too in this industry because you ha- you'll have like a lot of creatives that, that maybe are chefs and then they want to own their own place but that you know they they struggle with the business side and if they don't find the right partner to help them with that then that can be really challenging and of course then you've got the the business people that think oh owning a restaurant that that couldn't be too complicated and they don't have the creative side and it's you know there you got it you do have to find that that perfect balance to, to do it really well in this industry. Oh yeah. And I think the the one thing that's missing completely, you know, that most people really for, realize, forget that, that that is so essential, um, is, is the ma- managing people side mm. of it. Um, yes, because that's really like you can learn finances, you can learn business models, but if you can't learn how to manage biz- people, um, there's no, there's no, way to do that successfully people the uh interesting always um challenging aspect but also also very rewarding aspect of this business for sure because of the types of folks you tend to attract and um like you said it's very meritocratic you don't have to have the college degree you don't have to be you know it, it doesn't matter your skin color your ethnic background your male female whatever it is it's show up you work hard you're a good teammate put your butt into what you do do what you say you're going to do you, you can do well like you said okay so you were telling me before we started recording here you grew up in california um yeah. okay whereabouts in california in the san joaquin valley so outside of fresno and clovis um real at the time was a real agrarian business uh, you know part of the country it still early is sometimes they call it the bread basket of the United States, so much of our of our fresh produce is grown there, and um, and so it was a wonderful place to grow up. Um, now it's changed very, you know, very much. But um, I was there into my late teens um, and spent a good amount of time um, working in restaurants in the Bay Area, and. Um, and so then it wasn't until I moved, I moved to Salt Lake City briefly. I did some schooling here, and that's where I opened my first restaurant before heading out to Charleston. Well, okay, so you were 20 when you opened your first restaurant? Sorry, well, I'm balancing a three-year-old right now. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's hilarious. A three, you, is this your, is this, uh, you said you're out there with family. Is this your child or? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, my son. Oh, uh, how many children do you have? I have one. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. A three-year-old boy, huh? You got your hands full. Yeah, he is a blast. Oh, that's awesome. How was the trip out there with a three-year-old on a plane with COVID and masks and all that stuff? You know, the the restaurant industry has afforded me a lot of opportunities, but mostly to be able to meet a lot of people in the community. And I have been, um, and I have a wonderful friend who reached out who has a second home out here and um they have a plane and so she reached out and just said you know i don't want to fly this thing empty you know there's a seat for you and your son on it and i and i just said we're there you just made my pandemic oh how cool is that yeah it made it so much easier for sure oh that's cool well okay so so you were 20 when you opened your first place out there in salt lake yep what kind of place was it you know it was um you know this will probably make you laugh but do you remember a company uh, called World Wraps? Probably. World 30 years. Wraps. Was this like a Peter yeah. Wrap type thing or something? Or? No, more like a, 
like when tortilla wraps tortilla, you know, like tortilla wraps came out i was really inspired by them they were on the west coast um and really basically you know it was the burrito fusion concept where you could get you know thai peanut chicken burritos and mm. they called them wraps back then and so we had a space and um we named it rhapsody because nice. it also had a live music venue oh cool and it, and uh and it's now i think called velour the music venue is called velour but that was yeah that was 23 years ago how long did you have it uh let's see about three years okay and then you went to charleston after that yeah after a little while i am um, i did work with tf chang's for a bit um while i was here before heading out to charleston and that was a really good experience because i was able to really see at the time they were in the midst of significant growth expansion um and it was um it was really kind of cool to see what they were doing at that time and be a part of it so i was with them for about two years before i had that was charleston why'd you go to charleston it's um you know it's kind of, it was kind of the end of the dot-com boom and all my family and friends in california did not come here it's so expensive and um, i really wanted to be on the coast and so a friend of mine suggested a an explore exploration uh down the east coast southeast coast and we did that and just felt i mean i just had that feeling when we drove into charleston i thought well this is what i'm supposed to be yeah, I think a lot of people get that feeling when they first go to Charleston. It's such a beautiful place. I love Charleston so much. Um, there's there's ma- magic there for sure. It it there is. It's a very special place, and I don't I don't think anybody that goes there um, for the first time isn't just kind of taken aback and sort of blown away by the whole scene there. It's just it's like this weird thing of like preserved history meets. Um, you know, amazing culture. For, I, it's just, it's a really, uh, and just the geography is amazing. It's beautiful. Um, well, so you were there how long before you opened your first Taco Boy in 2006? We, you know, I had, when I went to Charleston originally, I thought that was going to be how I was going to get out of the restaurant business. I thought I was going <laughs> to go to school and I wanted to write. And then, you know, I initially got there and thought, well, you know, I need to make some money. So, and I started uh, working with a group who um, had a restaurant at the time called McCready's. Hmm. And they were opening a French brasserie called 39 Rue Jean. And, and when the owners saw my resume, they said, what are you, what are you doing? You know, like, what are you doing with your life? And um, we need some help. And, and so I sidelined school again and um, helped them open that brasserie and then a seafood restaurant called Coast. And at the same time, I uh, met some partners through um, my work with them and, and uh, started a, a brand called Post Tavern, which is out on Sullivan's Island. And oh, you were part of po- Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so there are four or five of those now. I'm not a part of that um, group anymore. Okay. Uh, it was, um, I guess that was 2003. In 2004, we opened a place called Reval, which which is, was a sp- Spanish wine bar uh, on King Street. And shortly after that, so we found a spot uh, out on Folly Beach, where I had been living and surfing for the most part since I moved to Charleston. And uh, just really missed the grilled fish tacos of 
Southern mm. California and, and uh, thought it was strange that we didn't have any kind of, you know, fresh taco scene, just kind of street style tacos. Um, and so it was really kind of born out of that, just a desire to have what we didn't already have in the community. And, uh, it was a lot of fun to put together out there. Oh, man. Well, you've been part of some really amazing brands. Uh, now, Poe's, Poe's Tavern uh, is, um, well, they've got some great burgers, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I've been to Poe's. Um, well, okay, so you said living and surfing in Folly Beach. So you, I should I guess I should have thought of that. Although, the where you grew up, you weren't on the coast, were you? Yeah, surfing is probably is my, you know, uh, passion. I just love it. I haven't had much time to do it in the last four years since having a young son. Young son. But we're, uh, I'm excited to get him in the water soon as he's learning how to swim. And, um, you know, surfing to me is like, uh, it's a fun way to see the world and travel similar mm. to eating and drinking when you're, you know, touring around. And it's, it's always fun to plot out and plan where you, where you can go and, the breaks are and what the, where the shops are and if you need to you know can you can you go and learn how to read a break and study it for a few oh. days and and so it's really a fun way to see the world and, and a fun way to keep the cortisol levels low too yes sun adrenaline sea ocean water oh man for sure there's nothing like yeah. it do you well, where's the best place you've surfed where's your favorite place you've surfed in Charleston? Nah, just anywhere. You know, I love surfing in a place called Playa Guiones in Costa Rica. Mm. Um, and it's uh, it's on the Atlantic side, but it, or excuse me, the Pacific side, um, and, but it has really warm water. So you can get in the Pacific? You know, kind of California style waves that are pretty powerful and a nice uh, curl to them, but the water's warm, so you don't have to wear a wetsuit. Um, and it's not sharky, which I appreciate. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's it's a very relaxing place to surf, and um, and it's definitely discovered now. There's a huge expat community down there, but they don't they haven't paved the roads yet, so it really nice. takes a determined person to to navigate out there, and and so that's one of my favorites. Oh man. You got me so off track, and I don't even care. I love I love surfing. I, d- I haven't surfed a ton. What I, I did start doing a few years ago is I got a. Um, we used to go to Polly's Island all the time, and um, I got a big old ten foot six uh, paddleboard, and I take that sucker out in the ocean. I figure out how to surf that thing on the waves. Man, that's have you ever done that on a paddleboard? I have. I'm I'm such a purist. Like yeah, I, um, you're... I have a hard t- I have a hard time with the extra gear you know like yep. i think that's something that i love about about surfing is it's just your body in a board just grab a body whenever i've tried uh paddleboarding or kiteboarding you know anything those things I, it loses that meditative quality for me um oh. and i think part of it says probably just haven't practiced it enough but i but um yeah i mean i think a lot it's just i see people out there doing it i'm impressed <laughs> you know well, it was, I, did, I mean, it was, it was hard as heck to figure out how to navigate that stuff at first. So it was a big learning curve, which I liked. But it's, it's cool because you, uh, you can start so far out with that paddle. You know, when you see something coming in, you can start pretty far out and just paddle it in and you roll up on the set. 
and uh, depending on the conditions, you just turn around and paddle back out, which I, I just, yeah. I, don't know, I, I love doing that. But um, everybody, I mean, this is, you know, five years ago down in Polly's, people were looking like, hey, what the heck is that guy doing on that thing? Trying to see. <laughs> this guy got a log? What is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's massive board. Well, that's cool. Okay, so you brought this surfing vibe down there um, at, uh, at Taco Boy. You've got... Folly Beach was your original, then you're in downtown Charleston, then up in Somerville, and then you got Wiki Wiki Sandbar. When did you open that? Um, let's see. Um, 2000, the end of 2018 is when we opened the Wiki Wiki Sandbar. Okay. So we, um, the last, our last two stores, you know, the one in Somerville and the Wiki Wiki Sandbar both happened within the same year which Ooh. was not planned and I don't ever recommend that for some reason all my <laughs> last restaurants have all been done two in a year mm. <laughs> I keep saying I'm not going to do it and I feel like the universe is just pushing personal growth or testing my hubris one of the two so um, it's been a you know we've been kind of correcting those and refining those over the past years and I feel like it really takes you know three to five years till you get a brand mm. where it needs to be um, or versus you know where if it's from a facility standpoint point or a service standpoint or even a staffing standpoint, sometimes it just takes time for that to really gel. You know? Yeah. For the, all the stars align for it to come together really well. Well, you, I, I mentioned, uh, or I mean, I read in an article or something, um, that I saw online when I was kind of getting ready for this. You said that wiki wiki sandbar is a love letter to the South Pacific, which I thought was really cool. Um, yeah. have you, have you been to the South Pacific a bunch? No, I mean, I've been to Hawaii and, you know, Tiki culture, um, uh, really came out of California. You know, it was mm. born there, um, in San Diego and Oakland. And, um, and I think from you know, adopting, you know, those people, people who really founded that whole movement was, it was their love letter to the South Pacific, you know, yeah. whether they were former sailors from the world war two, you know, from world war two or, or whether they were, you know, abroad and for other reasons. And so, um, you know, kind of, there were so many parallels to me mm. between the kinds of cuisines, like when you eat Hawaiian barbecue or, you know, you go in there, it's like, a, it's like a meat and three, right? Um, and a lot of times it's the macaroni salad. And that reminded me of like, you know, the macaroni and cheese of the, you know, Southern cooking mm. and yes. rice, the way we have the Carolina gold rice. And, mm. you know, and then I, as I did more research, they're both plantation style cuisines, meaning they had enslaved or indentured people working on these massive plantations and these mm -hmm. folks were from all over the world and so they brought their cuisines, you know, to they to these places where they were forced to work and uh, and, and it created these new cuisines, new world cuisines. And, and, and I, the parallels between Hawaiian cuisine and Southern cuisine are just, you know, so obvious. Um, wow. So I wanted a way to tie them together. Um, and that was just all the, you know, the things about whether it's Southern hospitality mm. is very similar to the whole Loha spirit. And, and there were just, there were just too many, um, uh, connections to be left untied. And so we, you know, we went for it. And I think, um, you know, one of my favorite, speaking of surfing too, one of my favorite dreams, once a bucket list thing that I really want to do is, uh, have you ever been to Tahiti? No, but I would love to. <laughs> I want to go so bad. I haven't done it yet, but I had friends who told me you can wake up in the morning and somebody will have put a perfectly, you know, 
prepared French baguette in your ne- underneath your newspaper, like a little newspaper hole all by your street or your place. And so you can go out and get a freshly delivered baguette to your house and then go out and serve. And I was like, that sounds like the most perfect day ever, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's definitely kind of, it's been in the back of my brain for a long time that there's mm. a, a very beautiful way to live. You can go surf uh, area of the world. You can go surf Chop Chop is it Chopu? Chopu, yeah. 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 You can go surf that surf that break? No, 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 no. <laughs> I would watch from the boat. <laughs> so that, sure. that's where I really fell um that's where I kinda got dialed into the whole thing is about ten years ago or longer, I don't know, but I watched this documentary called Riding Giants. Have you ever seen that? Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, I just went I went First of all, like, Laird Hamilton became my instant idol just because, you know, dude that was, you know, getting up there in his years, still taking great care of himself and doing these crazy things and all that kind of stuff. But I loved uh, I loved the old um, footage they had and, you know, those old-timers that had been surfing in California back in the 50s and 60s and all that. And that whole thing just was really cool. But I remember that footage from uh, them down there in Tahiti and just thinking, God, that wave looks ridiculous. Ridiculous! Yeah, oh yeah. my gosh, that's a dangerous break. Um, yeah. That and then there's that uh, that one out in Portugal now. You see all the time Nazar, I guess. Oh yeah. Nazare or whatever they call it. Um, but uh, yeah, one ones you watch from the sidelines. Well, okay. Well, look. So you you got these places going now. You got Wiki Wiki. Eighteen new concept open. Things are kind of settling in, maybe, and then you go into 2020, the economy's good, everything's all right, you're getting everything kind of lined up, and then boom, <laughs> um, COVID. So what's, uh, what's been happening um, down in your area over the last few months with, um, you know, how, did you all close? Did you figure out how to tweak your model? And just yeah. walk me through all that. Yeah, well, I think everyone's kind of realizing where where they hadn't become an expert in their field when this happened, you know, no matter how many hours you logged, nothing prepared you for this. Yeah. And, you know, we've evacuated for hurricanes. We've dealt with this kind of, we've had to have a certain level of preparedness embedded in our business plans. But this was, um, you know, the uncertainty around it, I think created the greatest challenges. And, Mm. and as we've, we initially, we did not close. We scaled back Charleston, was in a essential business, you know, open with in takeout and delivery options only as of like March 17th. So a little bit later than some parts of the country, but kind of in the middle, I guess, as it relates to other, uh, you know, other states. And, um, so we, we did that for, I want to say six weeks. And then it felt like we really needed to be more par- part of, of, uh, you know, flattening the curve. So we closed the businesses for, I think we were at about three weeks when our, uh, we got word that our PPP was granted. Mm. So we, it was, um, and a lot of people I, you know, that I spoke to felt like they, they were given this time off, you know, people went home and stayed home and we ended up laying off, uh, you know, when we closed this restaurants, we laid everybody off. We laid because we didn't know how long this was going to last. Yeah. ultimately and needed to preserve what we could from a financial standpoint to make sure that we could reopen and um so but but in that process i was you know I, and i should say I, myself my assistant 
um, we worked around the clock from the time that we closed the restaurants and maybe even maybe even before that because we were trying to apply for anything and everything that was out there and we have nine entities between my smaller restaurants and you know management companies and whatnot organizational mm. structures and and so we it was just around the clock trying to find the best information out there um, and just share it with my peers and a close group of friends who are all restaurant owners and chefs too. And so, you know, doing everything we could to just uh, try to lead our teams. And, I, and it just uh, consumed, it consumed us. And we, I was really grateful because we were some of the first people to get the support of the PPP in our community so we were able to reopen pretty quickly and, and try to put together a strategy for our teams to feel safe and um, be able to come back to work because a lot of people were sick of being at home but they wanted to be safe too yeah you know and, and wanted to find a path to that and and since then it's just I think every week you know I, I or actually it's we, we were saying for a little while it's just one day at a time you know mm. Every day presented new challenges we'd never seen before, whether it was when we had our first employee test positive to, you know, trying to help our city's hospitality task force advise the community leaders on what we needed um, to help support our industry. We just, every day was a new day, and uh, it has started to calm down a bit, but, um, you know, we're, we're clearly still in the midst of it. And um, going through another round now, it appears we're going to be needing to go through another round of PPP or something to make sure that we can get through the future this winter, you know. And, um, it's nuts. Well, and you- doing what we could, too, you know, I think to, your, to what you asked about changing the models, you know, one thing that we realized was this full-service outlet. Our, on, our online ordering was not great and our we weren't really built for that takeout model the way we should have been so it was a real it was a real magnifier to our weaknesses operationally um and and we've had to really dig deep to get that side of our businesses um kind of strengthened and improved and and broadened really um you, you mentioned you had somebody test positive. How, how many of your folks have, have tested positive? Was it just the one? No, no. We've had, uh, I think over the last six weeks, we've probably had 16. Everybody okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. We have, luckily, we've, we haven't had anybody hospitalized. We've mostly had, um, we've had, mostly had asymptomatic carriers. Um, or what they call, you know, asymptomatic mm. shutters. Um, we had the, I own a Montessori school. We started a Montessori school a couple of years ago. We had the great fortune of having one of our parents who uh, is a biochemist, but he's partnered with an epidemiologist and an MD, and they own a COVID-19 testing lab based out of New Orleans. And so they were able to advise us on what to do mm. and also do free testing for our employees with a, quick turnaround on results so we were we actively kind of found these employees um versus people getting sick or being worried they'd been Mm. sick 90 percent of our cases came from our employee screening um 
and that was really helpful because then we were we were like hey you you're out of the pool you know you don't you don't know you're sick but you're sick and you're potentially injecting other people um and so it was that was scary at the time, but also it was just being reassured by the experts that we were dealing with and who were advising us that that was really the right path, that, wow. that this regular testing was really the only way for us to make sure our teams had some confidence. Um, that was, you know, it was our only option, really. That's amazing. <laughs> what a, down, you know? Yeah, what a lucky thing to be able to do that. Um, and it's that's quite interesting that you had all 16 and – Basically, everybody's asymptomatic. So now, are they saying you hear you hear so much and you hear so many conflicting things? I, I kind of just had to tune out. I don't. I just I can't. I like I. Yeah. I just too much. And it's it's just one thing one day, one thing the next. But given that you've got that level of knowledge, you know that you're directly affiliated with. Do do they feel like the people that are asymptomatic um, are able to transmit it? Because I've I've heard both sides of that um it's hard to understand you know, the, epi- that. the epidemiologist that uh that is a chief science officer for the company that we're working with said absolutely yeah okay. you know the interesting thing about somebody who's asymptomatic is their body is not um is not producing an immune, immune response to the virus so they actually have a much higher viral load oh than interesting somebody whose body is actually mounting an immune defense um oh, and okay. so we have you know we have a distinctly young population that thinks they're invincible. And unfortunately, we didn't have social distancing mandated by our leaders here in South Carolina or in Charleston for a very, very long time. So we had mm. we had bars and nightclubs that were open that weren't doing any social distancing. And, and so we had a, you know, young groups of people, tourists and locals alike, that were going out at night going to bars, going dancing and getting sick in those locations and getting really, you know, getting infected in their off time Mm. and in their, what they were doing outside of work. Um, So it was kind of a challenge to try to get everybody to do the right thing by their coworkers, you know, and observe it. They are, you know, well, they're not invincible, but they certainly seem to be, the younger folks seem to be not really impacted as much by this. But the problem is that, you know, if you're a certain age, if you have any comorbidities and things like that, and that's the challenge with, that's what sucks so bad about the um, asymptomatic people, especially having a higher viral load. So this sucker just, you don't even know you have it, and you're just probably infecting a ton of people. Um, Because I'm assuming then that, obviously they're not coughing and sneezing, so they're, but they're, this is surface area stuff, right? Or they're they're hugging somebody, or they're touching something. Somebody else touches it. Is that is that what's happening? Yeah, and outside of work, they're just not wearing masks, right? You're going with your friend's house, you're hanging out, you're doing whatever, not wearing your mask because maybe it's not mandated at a bar you go to or whatever. You sit and talk with four people closely, and nobody wears masks. It's pretty easy to transmit Boom. that. Okay, got know? it. Yeah, and mm. so it's been a yeah, it, it's been a real interesting um, thing and we put a lot of pressure on our, our city leaders because the lack of leadership just everywhere on this issue has really trickled down to us and and um, you know people I think from a customer standpoint will look at the restaurants and said oh are we safe to go there you know there was a sense that like we weren't it wasn't a safe place to come to be in public and yet when we did contact tracing uh, for our first few cases 
you know, we went and went through our surveillance footage for the last 48 hours before they were either symptomatic or they tested. And that's what the Department of Health told us we needed to do. And um, when, we, when we looked every eight, every eight hours, you know, that they were on those shifts and we counted the minutes of every interaction that they had either with customers or other employees, things like that. It was, that's where we saw the potential for transmission the most was employees, you know, talking before the shift or hanging out as they're counting their money. Or, you know, it was interesting to see where those high risk interactions came from. It definitely wasn't with their customers. So, and so, you know, we were able to kind of identify what the potential problem areas were early on um, for our team members. But it was then we had to say to them, no matter what you do at work, no matter how we try to protect you at work, it's what you do outside of work that is going to have a major impact on all of us. And um, really trying to drive home the importance of our interconnectedness and our interdependence um, and how important that was has been it's been a big part of our, our messaging since we reopened. Um, well, it's interesting because you, you're, you're clearly active and you surf, and um, there's, there's the defensive measures that we keep hearing about, social distancing, wearing masks. One thing I'm a little perplexed about, maybe I've just missed it or, you know, again, I've, I've kind of checked out for the most part, um, but there are a lot of offensive measures that you can take. Right, uh, sunlight, um, exercise, eating good quality food—you um, know, taking care of yourself. Um, those things help build your immunity, and, and they're—I mean, it's good for just general um, living. But but certainly right now, because it seems like a lot of the folks that are having really bad issues, you know, they're either they're either elderly or they have they have comorbidities. Now, my wife has severe asthma, so there's not you know nothing she can do about that really. Um, but when you've got diabetes or you've got these other things that are sort of, you know, um, dietary related or, or um, you know, they're, they're things that you can you can do something about. Are you all talking a lot about that within your business, within the, the your peers in the industry down there about self-care? Mental health, health is big, too. You know, when you're depressed or you um, have in, mental health issues, that just all these things suppress your immune system and just it would seem to me would make you a lot more susceptible if you're not able to really take care of yourself. What do you think about that? You know, we've been talking about health in our industry for a while now. You know, I have some friends who started an organization called Ben's friends. It's around. Yes. Sober. Steve Palmer. Yeah. Yeah. I've had him on here. Love that. Love Ben's friends so much. Oh, I can't tell you how many times that comes up in these podcasts. I do luckily from people over the country. In fact, I interviewed a guy in Florida a couple of weeks ago. He starts talking about his life story, and then, and all of a sudden, you know, Steve Palmer and Ben's friends comes up. Man, it's it's uh, yeah. so thankful for what he's doing. He and Mickey and all those folks. What a great organization! And well, we need it so badly because I think, mm. uh, you know, the, a lot of times we're drawn to this in- industry for the reasons, some of the reasons we talked about, right? That uh, you can come to this industry with very little education yep. or training and really learn to to have a craft and have a skill and. Um, but the other side of it is the adrenaline that that is produced every four hours in these buildings, you know, as the lunch or dinner rush or late night rush, whatever it could be, happens. Like, <clears throat> it attracts a certain person, too. And I think that we all have to be very realistic about the reality that if you enjoy that adrenaline, and then there's also, you, you're potentially predisposed to other 
you know, proclivities that are not great at the end of the day. And, you know, all the other just lifestyle things that come with the schedule of being out at work at 11, mm. 12 at night. And, um, and be surrounded by a bunch of alcohol. <laughs> right, yeah, there's that too. Or, you know, or just not knowing. Like when you first get into the industry, nobody says, hey, it's really important to go run five miles before you go to work. That's counterintuitive, right? Because you're on your feet all the time. But like, mm. if you don't deal with that cortisol, you're going to feel the need to unwind. And it's hard to unwind. You know, there's only a few ways to unwind you know, meditation, you know, sedatives, depressants, mm. and, and exercise really are the few outlets that are available. But those aren't, they're not all offered as good alternatives or options when you first get into the industry. So I think to begin, we have been having this conversation about um, treating our bodies better and and really investing um, in taking care of them longer so that it doesn't become like a quote-unquote young man's game too, potentially. Mm, yeah. And because the stand, you re, this is, requires stamina, you know, and, and uh, so the conversation was already there for sure. And I think that the outbreak, the pandemic really um, – underlined or you know uh, helped us emphasize the reality that it was going to be much harder and especially have a lot of uh, employees of color who who have a you know you know pre-diabetic or uh hypertension and things that were already a part of what they might have been um genetically predisposed for and then on top of that if you're not taking great care of yourself that you were right you were there you know you were a high-risk person right there Mm -hmm. for covid And, and so the conversation is is definitely present and i think the idea of coping with stress right now has become even more important yeah because i i don't i don't haven't met one person yet yet who hasn't said this has become basically the most stressful thing that's ever happened to them in their lives um hmm. and so you know how we're all how are we all coping with it now and how are we encouraging people to cope and and uh and most of that comes from just conversations about how are you investing in your physical health and are you finding time to make space to calm your brain and how do you do that you know and, and um i think it will i'm glad I've, I've, this conversation i think is here to stay in our industry yeah um and and hopefully when we have a more normal approach or where i guess where there isn't just so much noise around crisis right when we've when we're not in the mm. space of crisis crisis noise that that we'll be able to have a more thoughtful approach about how to put that um, into the DNA of our organization and what kind of um, behaviors um, do we um, commit to as an organization, you know, so it, that we're walking the talk. It's so awesome what Ben's Friends does. Um, and this conversation is so important. It is such a challenging conversation to get ahead of this versus, I mean, Ben's friends is there when you've, when you've like, you've reached a point where you're like, I need help, you know? So, um, and maybe there's some people that are proactive that are involved that, you know, just don't want to have that. But I mean, most people, particularly young people, you said it earlier, you know, they, 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 I did. I mean, you feel invincible. You're like, eh, you know, I know all these other people have these things, but they're, you know, they've been through all this stuff, whatever, they're older, whatever, blah, blah. I'm good. But the the reality is it's a tough track to start down. It's hard to unwind from that when you go down a a tough path like that. So it's good to have organizations like that. The challenging thing to me is always, and I mean, I have three kids. My oldest is 16 now. You know, it's like convincing young people 
you know, <laughs> these basic things of taking care of yourself, self-care, getting exercise, getting, you know, your, your physical health and your mental health are so critical and they do allow you to take that invincibility you feel now and extend it for many, many, many years, uh, in the future. Once, if you, if you start down that path, the, the physical health often, often is the, the support structure or the foundation for the mental health. At least I've found that, you know, if I'm not getting good exercise and doing what I need, it's like, man, it's a lot harder to deal. But then you, if you're able to find that time, like you said, five miles before a shift seems crazy, but that shift's going to go by so much easier and you're not going to feel so wound up and like, I got to have a, you know, I need a shot or I need a join or I need something right after. Um, if you're, if you're doing that, um, tough to do with young people though. I mean, hard to look, you've got a tough industry, man. I, I, I admire what you do and what your peers do so much because it's like such a critical thing. And, and part of our problem right now is that we, we're designed we need to be around people. We need to be, we need to congregate. We need to look at people's eyes and their smile. And we can't, you know, we can only do half that now. And then we have to stay away from them. We, we want to, so it's really, really hard. And what y'all do is so, I believe so incredibly important to our culture and just to the mental health of our and well being of our society in general, we need to go to, places where we can be around our friends and our family and other members of our community and we need hospitality it's an important part of how we just interact as a culture so being that that's just oh gosh just coming apart right now at the seams is challenging so we um you've got all that in addition to the fact that it's just a hard business in the first place <laughs> it's like yeah. holy crap but you know um you seem to have this, this, I can just tell from some of the things you've said, I mean, you, you, I'm sure you've had your days, but it sounds like you tend to try to find a way to take a challenge and make it an opportunity in general. Yeah. I mean, I, I was blessed with two parents who have both had Ch- Churchillian will, just like Winston mm. Churchill, you know, just like not going to be defeated. And, and they're, and, yeah. and so I'm, I'm grateful that I have that resourcefulness kind of bred into me and um but also you know at the end of the day if i don't do it nobody else will Mm. (laughs) for our organization and and, um and i think becoming a parent really changed things for me too you know and and you realize that that you have to invest in yourself to be able to be good for the people that need you yes and that you lead 100 percent um or it used to be where i would try to make sure i got my workouts in um, but they always were sacrificed for whatever else was happening. Um, after I became a parent and, and the stress kind of went up with trying to be, uh, take care of both our restaurants and my son, um, I realized that those needed to be not the, you know, the uh, elective things on my on my schedule, that they had to be the sacred yes. times on my schedule. Mandatory. And, um and in this and in this process where really the stakes continued to go up you know day by day week by week um i just realized if i wasn't investing in myself that one hour a day you know or every day that my resilience was thinning out like i, I wasn't as resilient if i wasn't making those investments and um well, and now it's just showing me that, you know, I have to be able to be the example for 
before I start talking to my teams about it, they've got to see me do it first. That's right. Um, and same thing with my son and my family and anybody else who looks to me to lead, you know. Well, Carolee, look, I mean, you, you, well, you know, you and your, your private jet flying out there, you know, but you, so you, you didn't get, you didn't get this bit on that jet, I'm sure. But, you know, I mean, you've flown uh, commercial, you know, tons of times, I'm sure. And, you know, you go there and they, they do the little thing about what happens. And of course, you know, if the, if the oxygen pops down, the instinct as a parent is like, I got to get this to my kid. But the reality is yeah. you, you got to take it. Like, and that's such a good metaphor, I think, because. Um, our instincts typically are, I want to care for and protect and focus on the others around me. That's why you do what you do. Hospitality is all about caring for others, but it's, it's like, man, you got to That, like you said, it's got to be sacred. Got to take care of yourself. Otherwise you won't wind up taking care of the others around you as well as you'd like to. You'll beat yourself up over it. And it's just like this spiraling snowballing thing and it's not sustainable at all. So it really is critical. Get on that surfboard, get back out there. Get, hit, go hit those brakes, man. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and it's funny how often people will say that, like, oh, it must be nice. You know, if I, if I show up at, to an important meeting or something in my yoga clothes or salty hair or something, and, and people, you know, maybe look at me and think, oh, it's because you own your own business. This is some sort of luxury. Mm. And then I have to be able to say, you know, this is just as important to me as brushing my teeth every day. You it's, know, like if, I, yeah. if I don't do this, I'm not patient and I'm not compassionate and transparent the way that I need to be for everybody and I, uh, I become a bulldozer, and that's not what that's not what anybody wants. No, know? it's not nice. It's critical. I mean, it's not. Yeah. Must be nice. Yeah. I, everybody, nobody should. You know, everybody should do that. I mean, I don't care what you do. You got to take care of yourself, especially as you get a little older and you have some kids and and so forth. Um, well, let me ask. You, I want to ask you one more thing. I'm going to let you roll, hang out with your little man there. But um, what is or who are some of the folks you mentioned? Some of your your uh, peers in the industry down there, and, and obviously Steve's one of them. Who else are some of the folks that you um, have a lot of respect for down in, in um, the Charleston area or, or elsewhere uh, around the country in the hospitality world? You know, um, the people that I've been leaning on the most, and I hope feel like they've been able to lean on me as well. Um, I would say. Um, my buddy Aaron Siegel, who owns Home, Te- Home Team Barbecue, love him. Yep. Um, you know Michael Shemto, who owns uh, Butcher B, the Daily Redheaded Stranger. He's got a myriad of businesses, Mellow Mushrooms. I think he's up to ten at this point. Mm. Um, Mike Lotta is a, a dear old friend of mine, um, and he owns the Ordinary and Fig, um, probably two of the best restaurants in the city. Yeah, um, and and it's been. It's just been so nice to be able to have people to call and freak out to or, or you know, run by your crazy idea, you know, whatever you think might be the most harebrained version of what how survival is or whatever. Um, and Lauren Bailey, I don't know if you're familiar with Lauren, uh, out of, she's in Arizona. She hmm. has an incredible company called Upward Projects and uh, Postino Wine Bars, I think her big growth vehicle, but it, she's just been completely inspiring we've been meeting with other female uh hospitality entrepreneurs and leaders over the years through an organization called fab which is females in business Hmm. and um, so i met lauren there a handful of other stephanie castellucci out of atlanta um you know we were able to get on a few calls early on to just kind of say wtf together what are we all doing how do you do this how do you make this happen you know yeah um 
and freak and a little bit of just like a you know, a, a, a trusted circle of somebody to freak out with. <laughs> you need it. Yeah. Like, for sure. I don't know who to let my guard down with, but I know you all understand, so I'm going to do it, you know? <laughs> and uh, so it's been, I've been, I've been honored to be able to have, you know, share space and with all of those folks. Uh, there are a couple of folks, if you're interested, I'd love to connect you with. Um, Emily Blunt, who's in Oxford, Mississippi, at St. Leo, and uh, Karen Hoskin, who owns uh, Montana Distillers out in Crested Butte, a rum distillery. Uh, oh, yeah. Amazing women. Uh, I've had them both on the podcast multiple times. Huge respect for them. And they're always really um, interested in, in you know connecting with other folks in the industry, especially female owners. Uh, so if you, if you want me to, I'm, I would love to you know make a text intro or something like that let y'all connect at some point if you're interested oh, i'd love that i would love that all it's right one of my favorite things yeah i'll get it done um yeah i actually texted uh aaron and sean a picture the other day i don't take selfies very often i don't know how to do that but i got i got one of me wearing my home team shirt <laughs> and oh, i love nice. my home team shirt it's an old school one too it's like seven or eight years old and uh but yeah i i, I I love that thing. It's a good shirt. It's like a, it's my, it's in my weekly rotation. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, uh, they're such a good group. Um, well, listen, Carolee, uh, go hang with you, with your son. What's his name? My son's name's Harley. Harley. I love it. We, yeah. Yeah. How about that? We have a, I live out here in some land outside of Charlotte and Waxhaw. We have an old horse. It's like 24 years old. His name's Harley. I hear about oh, him right now. Love- good dude. Good name. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah. Well, listen, I will definitely, um, I'll get down there at some point when maybe this settles down a little bit more and, uh, I will definitely let you know. So I'd love to meet you and hang out at Likewise. Taco Boy or Wiki Wiki or both. Um, but, uh, we'll make that happen for sure. Safe trip back. Y'all take care of yourselves. Uh, if you need Thanks, anything, Will. It's been you know, good talking with you. Yeah. Enjoyed it very much. Appreciate it very okay. much. Take All care. Right. See you.